We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day, just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket, and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. The Houston Rockets closed out the Oklahoma City Thunder in a preposterous Game 7 ending that had... uh, that was just a, you could have put Benny, Benny Hill music to the end of it. Um, we were robbed of a legendary Twitter night and what would have been known forever as the Lou Dort game. Uh, but sadly, Dort Nowitzki. Dude, <laughs> dude, I was dying that last shot where he got it, where Harden blocked it, right? Like Harden yeah. made, made a great play on that play. But I, like, I, I don't know if my heart could have taken a Lou Dort game winner, like game winning three. Like I, I, I needed it. I wanted it. I didn't get it. But alas, the Lakers will be playing the Houston Rockets in the second round. Underdogs, and as as underdogs, according to five thirty eight, according to the, uh, the that math at least. Um, I I think don't want to speak for you, but I think if the Lakers were to play this series a hundred times, they win 
a decent d- degree, more than 50 of them. And But there are, a- as I said, uh, you know, since my hospitalization, I am... I look at situations differently now where I'm like, all right, how could this go bad? Like, that's my initial, anytime there's something new, I'm like, I always got my eye open for, you know, I've got a certain degree of paranoia that did not exist before. And there are versions of this Rockets team that can beat versions of this Lakers team. And in this pod, we're going to talk about some of what we believe are the pivot points, right? Some of the places, this may be a little more on the paranoid side too, right? There are a lot of reasons for the Lakers to um, feel confident. I think we'll start with the the ways that Houston can hurt us, and yeah. I think toward the end maybe we'll get into more of the ways that the Lakers uh, can can leverage their advantages. Um, but we're going to start with Russell Westbrook. Westbrook is a power guard. Game sevens are super fun because adding the element of fear to a basketball game, it's like the only game where everybody's just like really uptight and tense and yeah. it does things to guys, right? Like there were some of the young guys in that game that were like really afraid of making a mistake. There are some guys who are about it, right? Like Covington wanted to be in that game. Russell Westbrook wanted to be, you know, in it. Dennis Schroeder, Chris Paul, right? Um, but... Westbrook, so Westbrook's the guy that really asserted, was assertive down the stretch for, for them. And he's a guy who put up 40 on the Lakers in the one real game that these two teams played during the regular season. Lakers won their first meeting, but that was before the Clint Capella trade, before they completely committed to this style of play. Uh, the Lakers lost by 10 at Staples Center, 121 to 11. To 111. Uh, the first time that we played them, with uh, this new lineup, and that was right after they had made that trade. And then the the third time was in the bubble. LeBron didn't play. It was uh, an exhibition game for all intents and purposes. So in that one game, that we, I think we could draw more from that game than from the other games, Westbrook messed us up. He is basketball in a lot of ways is uh, has kind of a rock paper scissors component to it, where like rock will beat scissors, but scissors will beat paper, and paper will beat rock, and I think of two of our defenders in this respect that have been two of our best defenders in the bubble. That's Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma. They both matched up with Westbrook a lot in that one game that I read more into than the other games. And Westbrook went through them. Caruso did a great job on Lillard. He does a great job of using fundamentals to square guys away. Westbrook, there's not a lot of subtlety to Westbrook's game, right? He's just... But it's a ton of force. He's a, a power guard. And in some respects, I think that a power guard beats a a technician defender, right? Like, Cruz is more of a technician. Cruz has some size and some athleticism that he's getting better with the technique. But Russ would, like, put his shoulder into Cruz and lift Cruz off of his feet, right? And Cruz and is kind of like, being light on his feet is a skill, but... If you're not anchored to the ground, you can be powered through, right? So I think Westbrook is a tough matchup for us in that respect, and it showed in that one game. What do you see out of Westbrook that could be problematic for us in this series? Well, first, I just want to frame some of this conversation about Westbrook, right? Because you and I were talking a little bit before we even got on the pod that I think that this series can you were talking about pivot points for the series. And this is one of the reasons why we're starting with Westbrook, because um, I do think the series on some levels from Houston's perspective will hinge on how 
successful Russ is at at playing like a multifaceted floor game, right? Like he can the things that you're talk talking about in terms of physically overwhelming his defenders, he, he can leverage that both as a scorer and as a playmaker. And he mm-hmm. can do it in the half court and in transition, right? And and that's like we'll get to Harden a little bit later within this discussion. But the word that you used with Westbrook that stands out to me is force. Mm-hmm. And, and um, like Jimmy Butler plays this way too, mm-hmm. right? Great, like great like, like like he just plays with a certain amount of of going at you all of the time and he is physical he knows how to use his physicality to to his advantage and when Westbrook channels that correctly and doesn't get wild right and mm-hmm. like the difference between there was a stretch in game 7 it was it was either at the end of the third quarter or around the start of the fourth quarter where Westbrook was really he he made two or three plays on like a string of three or four possessions where it was just like, oh, you're controlling the game now, right? Where he got that left-handed layup in traffic, he drove and slashed left to right, and then threw that kickout pass to the corner for an open three. It might have been to Covington or Daniel House. Um but those are the types of plays that Westbrook can make. Compare that to sort of the wildness that he exhibited in Game 6, where he had multiple turnovers, he was throwing a lot of inaccurate passes, and he was really awful down down the stretch. That version of Westbrook can sink Houston, right? Mm-hmm. The version that controlled a two- to three-minute stretch in Game 7 can elevate Houston to a new level. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to frame the Westbrook conversation and why we're starting the pod with him that way because I do think he is a crucial element to Houston's ability to to win the series, right? Mm-hmm. Because if he is not good, um, and not only is he not good, but he is wild, right. then Houston's ability to control the series in the way that they can goes haywire. It actually it, it flips into such a an extreme advantage for the Lakers, right? Like Wild Westbrook, we are a lot more athletic. We're bigger and a lot more athletic than the Houston Rockets are. Just those guys that we've got as athletes compared to them. And athletes thrive in scramble situations, transition, offensive rebounds, loose balls. Those are the points where the bigger, faster, stronger guy will have the greatest degree of advantage of advantage over the the skilled guy, right? And so this is another series similar to the our first round series against Portland where I really want us to run. It's funny cuz we think of Mike D'Antoni as, you know, the run and gun Houston yeah. uh, Phoenix Suns, right? Like Seven seconds or less and pace right. and yes. Mm-hmm. But this is actually not a very fast-paced team and they do a lot in the half court. And like the more this game is in the half court where everybody's standing around, that's Houston's game. That is yeah. how they play all year. And the more we're making them, like it was the first part of that game, man, it was, they had the strangest energy to me where they're kind of jogging back. They're not, 
so there's a rule in basketball where you need to be in front of the ball, right? If the ball is like being brought up court and you're on defense now, the ball handler, if the ball handler is ahead of you, you need to be sprinting to make sure that you're on the, the same like sideline to sideline play below that, right? So that you're ahead of him. And there were several plays where like they're jogging back and there's like two, three guys behind the level of the ball. And I'm like, wow, in a game seven, you yeah. know, um, just different road. And when they decided that they were going to turn it up, they're just better than OKC is. Like they're a better team. Than, yes. Than Oklahoma City is. But they don't, they weren't able to like lock into it. So the same like focus type stuff is applicable to the Rockets just as it is to us, right? That's right. And those, when you have breakdowns, the playoffs are so much about having breakdowns or, or trying to prevent them. When you have breakdowns against a team that you're significantly less athletic than, you're in deep trouble because it, because of that physical difference, you have to out-execute them. Now, maybe they didn't respect OKC. Maybe they weren't. I mean, but it's a game seven, right? Like it's I could yeah. see that early in the season. Like, oh, we're better than them. We're going to beat them, no problem. But seeing that so deep into the series, is that something that – because like the more we can – if, if we're going to win this series, we're going to look like a conquering army while doing it. We're going to be running in transition. Yeah. We're going to be throwing lobs 12 feet in the air. And Anthony Davis is going to be making, you know, catching in reverse to alley-oops. And it's going to be this kind of thundering herd type type feel. And I, I really think that we should push the pace of the series in that direction. Westbrook's the one guy who can kind of hang in that style athletically. No, I think that that's when you're talking about the best athletes right, that are in this series, it's Westbrook is up there with LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? And so when you go the roster like one through 10 and who's like bigger, mm -hmm. stronger, right, faster to a certain degree, Houston can keep up with with the like the quickness and speed aspect of certain 100%. things, but mm -hmm. they don't have the size to match with that, right? And and compared to players like LeBron and especially Dwight Howard um, and in certain matchups, Anthony Davis, they don't have the strength either. But Westbrook is one of those guys who who lives in that stratosphere of athlete, right? Right. And, and if he's able to find a groove and if he's able to threaten the rim and break down the defense and score with impunity versus a spaced floor. He's going to give the Lakers problems. And, and the more that problem becomes like a, a button that Houston is able to press on consistently over the course of the game, it then forces you to start to make adjustments, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, that's one of the things that was tricky about this OKC series. Westbrook was hurt to start the series. He missed the first several games. His first couple of games back, he did not play well at all. Game mm -hmm. seven, I thought, was probably his best game of the series. Um, and he still wasn't all that great. He wasn't finishing at the rim the way that you would normally expect him to. Um, but he does still have some some sequences, right? And so one thing I wanted to kick back to you in terms of Westbrook specifically is 
is who do you defend him with mm-hmm. to start the game? You because I've been thinking about this. Like, do you put do you put Anthony Davis on him? Do you put a traditional guard on him? Are we like, starting our regular starting lineup? I think the Lakers are going to start their regular starting lineup. I, I think too. I think the Lakers are going to try to play big. Um, the more and more I think about it, and with some of the numbers I've been looking at, the Lakers have advantages playing big. They have advantages um, defensively in certain ways. They can leverage certain things offensively. Like this was one of the themes that I wanted to hit on with you is going big versus versus going small and what going small, quote unquote, should look like versus this, this Rockets team. Because I do think that the types of bigs that the Lakers have can be troublesome for Houston in the things that they do well. So let's start with who guards Westbrook. And yeah, let's... I want to get to what a small lineup looks like as well. Um, I think, you know, to start out the game, I'm probably having Danny Green on Westbrook and KCP on... Ah, no, but maybe that's backward. That's, no, that's backward. I want, I want Danny Green on Harden because I think they're, they're not going to take the mid-range shots. And... I like our chances against them at the rim, by and large, right? This is just overall. I similar to, to Damian Lillard. I don't want Damian. I don't want James Harden taking twelve threes in a game. Funnel him, make him hit that floater, make him finish at the rim. We're gonna lose some of those battles. He's a great player. He's gonna get get buckets, um, but just on a philosophical basis, limit Harden's three point attempts. And so, in doing that, I want to have size on him. You can't both say, I'm going to take away his three ball and I'm going to take away his drives to the basket. So if I'm looking to take away Lillard's three, or uh, Lillard, if I'm looking to take away Harden's three ball, I want size on him. And I'm not so much worried about, oh, well, Danny Green can't stay in front of him. Like, well, no, that's fine. I, I Same concept as when we talked about Dame is you're not going to be able to take everything away, but you can't take one thing away and say that if you're going to beat us, we're gonna, you're going to have to beat us in this direction. We're going to dictate the direction uh, with which you do that, and then we're going to have pre-planned rotations on how to handle that, right? This is the first guy that ro- rotates over, and if you kick it to any of the other four guys, we have we practiced our rotations and we know our tape, we know our tendencies of which guys we're helping off and all that. So start with Denny Green on him, which leaves KCP on Westbrook. Now there's a similar like powering through problem there and that KCP is not a particularly physical guard. And so Westbrook is a matchup problem. Um, Kuzma, as well as he's done throughout the bubble defensively, I just, you know, just did that video on him. Uh, it's again like a rock beats scissors type thing in that the how quick he is with his feet and opening up his hips and all of that it's actually a little bit of a detriment right he used to hop around all the time but kuzma is not anchored to the ground very often and he started to use that as a 
as a strength, right? That ability to drop that drop that top foot and and stay in front of guys. But because he's not anchored to the ground and he's not a particularly physically imposing guy in the first place, a guy like Russ with a lower center of gravity who's like really strong and really fast is going to power through him with speed. And so if like, look, I'm not saying Kuz can't guard Westbrook, but if Kuz does a good job on Westbrook in this series, that is a different accomplishment than anything that he's done of the great work that he's done defensively so far. This is a a new badge that's earned, right? Being able to stay in front of Westbrook and defend him is a different animal than Lillard. It's not better or worse or anything like that. It's just styles make fights, and I think it's this is a tough matchup for Kuz. Um, the same thing with Caruso, right? Caruso gets powered through by Westbrook. To me, when it... I don't want these guys doing this for the majority of the game because of their offensive responsibilities, but LeBron is really fast and he can stay in front of, or he's, he's really fast and he's strong. He's not going to get powered through by a Westbrook. AD is, is not like a power player necessarily for his size. Like he's not the strongest seven ish footer type guy, but he's big enough to where, and, and has enough length to where Russ is going to have a hard time powering through him. So like it's, we've got a couple of cards that I think we can play where if it's a two point game, there's five minutes left in the fourth quarter where we can put AD on him for the last five minutes in a way that we wouldn't do for 48. I think we've got a card to play. So that's, you know, I'm looking to do it with the usual suspects. I'm giving up his mid-range pull-up. He can take as many of those as he'd like. I do want to get a hand up, but I just don't want him powering through me to get to the basket because there, I really, we, I really want us to control the front of the rim on both ends of the court. And the one place where Houston can hurt us is with that force and power. Uh, that that's how. If we can keep Russ out of the paint, I think we're going to be okay. It's interesting. I want good help defenders on on Westbrook. And ideally, I want a help defender who, who can also play some at the point of attack, right? KCP to me is not necessarily one of the Lakers' best help defenders instinctively. Um, He's good at jumping passing lanes. That's probably his strongest in that respect. But I do, I do get where you're coming from. And so <clears throat> Westbrook likes to attack from the shoulders of, like, like of the floor, right? And so Houston. When Harden is operating sort of at his best, he will be in like one four setups, right? But, Can you explain and, what that is, both the the shoulder and the one four? Yeah, and, and so one four Harden will be at like the top of the key area, typically ice will will isolating, and then there will be a player in each corner. There's always going to be a player in each corner <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Houston all of the time, and there's almost always going to be a player at the shoulder, which is where the three-point arc bends, right? Like, it's where the arc meets the sideline for, like, the straight line for the three-point line. And I call that area the shoulder because it's, like, the shoulder of the arc, right? Sure, sure. Um, And so when Harden, though, gets shaded to a certain direction, Westbrook lifts a little bit higher, 
and he lifts a little bit higher, A, to flatten out the passing angle so that he makes himself available for the direct skip pass across the floor from from Harden, but B, he raises up some as well because when he catches the ball, it he wants that space to sort of ramp up to attack you off of the dribble. He's going to want to get ahead of steam. Yeah. Yes. The best place in order to help off a to help off of Westbrook when he's around the shoulder of the arc is around the nail. The nail is right in the middle of the free throw line, and they call it the nail because there's actually a nail there. Mm -hmm. It's how you square up and center the hoop with the free throw line. I want a guy at the nail, and I want that player to be a good help player. And I don't know if that's KCP. I just don't. And... And this series is going to end up being a series of a bunch of cross matches almost all of the time because Mm -hmm. Houston switches so many screens Mm -hmm. that the likelihood of you having any one individual matchup is diminished greatly just based off the number of times that Houston is going to screen or they're just going or switch not only screens but switch motion as well, right? They will pass off offensive players as 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 they go around the floor because they don't necessarily want their defense moving a lot because they want their guys to be in good help position based mm-hmm. off of their ability to watch the ball. This is yeah, one they of the don't, they don't move much on either side of the court. This is one of the reasons why Houston is susceptible to back cuts because they watch the ball a lot, because they need to watch the ball a lot based off of what their help principles are and the fact that they actually do not have strong point-of-attack point defenders. They are comfortable giving up the drive, and you saw this a lot versus OKC, because they have quickness at almost every position in order to rotate in to try to take away driving lanes and draw charges. Now, against an OKC team that was playing multiple non-shooters all of the time, Houston made strategic decisions basically saying, we're not guarding Mm -hmm. at least one and typically two players on the floor at any given time as offensive threat so that we could rotate even more. The issue was, though, they started giving up back cuts regardless because all of their guys were watching the ball. And you saw that a fair amount. Dort got backdoor cuts for like layups and dunks. Baisley got a cup, couple of those too, right? Those were the guys who were not being guarded behind the mm-hmm. arc. And those guys can be cutters. It'll be a good series, I think, for this will be an interesting series to see if Caruso can make a living as a cutter this series. Kuzma too. And Remember Kuzma who's the cutter, well. man? Yes. Because that size around the rim, like we're bigger than them, right? And we so if we're getting attempts around the rim, we're gonna be in really good shape. The difficulty though is that Houston is very much built to not let you get to the rim, right? Yeah. And they've got a lot of uh there's a lot of I think fool's gold and kind of uh, traps that they set to try to tempt you into things that you think are going to work that don't necessarily work all that well. So let's take a quick little break. And when we come back, I want to ask you, Darius, about how the Lakers can be effectively big on the offensive end without kind of playing into what Houston wants them to do. Sundays are coming back with the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. 
plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. You've counted on restaurants and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and I haven't had time to make anything. And it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door. And now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. So yeah, in that one game at Staples Center after Houston made the trade, uh, we posted up AD a lot. He had uh, a lot of difficulty in that uh, same was true in the bubble game where LeBron did not play. Uh, you made an interesting observation with, that I very much agree with prior to the show about kind of the nature of this series as it relates to AD. Would you would you repeat that here? Yeah, basically, it, you're going to hear a lot of analysts talk in the lead up to the to Friday's game, and they're going to tell you that this is an Anthony Davis series. That this is the series where Anthony Davis should be averaging like 35 points or Anthony Davis should get 40 points. Look how much bigger he is than all of these people. And they have no one to guard him. And you're going to hear a lot of that. Look, I don't disagree that Anthony Davis can score 35 or 40 points against the Rockets. This, But what I told Pete before we started recording the podcast is people are going to tell you this is an Anthony Davis series. This is not an Anthony Davis series. This is a LeBron James series. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the ways in which the Lakers can effectively utilize their size and not get sort of baited into doing things that Houston wants you to do, the way you do that is by punishing them with LeBron James. You do that by why, why is what's the difference? Because AD is obviously physically imposing, LeBron yeah. is too. What's the difference that makes it a LeBron series rather than an AD series? Well, LeBron can LeBron can functionally attack from any place on the floor with a live dribble or out of a triple threat, and Anthony Davis cannot. The way that the Lakers are going to try, so Anthony Davis, so. I had made the point to you before we started recording the pod that I thought Portland was much more of an Anthony Davis series than I thought that this series was. One of mm-hmm. the reasons why I said that was because Portland was going to play big and right. they were going to defend Anthony Davis with other big men. They mm-hmm. were going to try to defend him with Yusuf Nurkic and they were going to try to defend him with Hassan Whiteside. They tried to defend him with um, Wayne Gabriel, mm-hmm. right? These are all... And if... And if Zach Collins was available, they would have tried to defend him with Zach Collins, right? Um, AD eats players like that up. Mm-hmm. He is. So you cannot 
this is why AD is one of the five or six best players in the entire league. It's it's because like sized players cannot deal with him. No, he's too fast for them. He's too skilled and too fast. It's why he cooked up Go Gobert as well. You right? know, like. And, but like PJ Tucker is going to defend him in a different way. Uh, House Green, like they will press up on him in a way that Whiteside and Nurkic they couldn't because he'd go right by them. Do you remember? So this is a pop quiz, and if you don't get the answer right, it's it's totally <laughs> fine. Be like like because this is some something that always stood stood out to me, and it's something that I always remembered. Do you remember who was one of the players or who used to give? Shaq sort of problems like Dennis he was Rodman Chuck Hayes yeah Malik Rose Malik a little Rose. bit mm-hmm. right all the smaller guys right all the like low center of gravity guys who sort positional of defender who 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 played lower than him who got into who got underneath his hips a little bit and who made him work harder for positioning and who were able to bump him off off of his spots using their legs, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, beat him to spots. That's a big part of it. Sorry, I'll get into my Houston Rockets defense theories. In, go, go ahead. But those are the types of defenders that they're going to throw at Anthony Davis. They're the types of guys who are going to who are going to try to knock him off of his spot. They're going to fight him for positioning. They are... They are naturally players who are used to defending wings, right? Mm-hmm. And and Anthony Davis's where where AD typically leverages his strength is bringing wing skills to a big man's body, and so teams often try to defend him with big men, and he eats them up with his wing skills, and mm-hmm. a lot of times. When you try to put smaller players on on him, he can physically move those guys. But Houston has a bunch of fire hydrants out there mm-hmm. who are going to <laughs> get underneath him some, and mm-hmm. are gonna and are just harder to move. Right? It, it's like one of the best post defenders in the league. Who's right? Like people say that about James. Well, well James Harden. But one of the best post defenders in the league is five foot eleven. His name's Kyle Lowry, mm-hmm. right? Like, post defense is about leverage and angles. Mm-hmm. Most defense is about angles, but yep. post defense specifically, you have to throw in leverage there. It's, it's like, if you can hold your ground, that's why, like, the dudes that are able to do it smaller, they're all built the same way, right? They all got the same type of body, right? And it's because... The, it's the prerequisite to be able to hold your ground. But once you're able to do that, then it becomes about beating the guy to the spot, right? Like as he turns over his left shoulder, you've slid and you've squared up his shoulder where it's hitting you in the middle of the chest. And now you're sitting on that. And then he tries to drop step, but you're faster than him, right? And you're able to beat him to the spot there. And then it's now all of a sudden it's this fading, awkward attempt. And that's where those are some of the ways they can bait you into that. Like, oh, look at the size difference between Anthony Davis and PJ Tucker. We do need to exploit that. I just would argue that it's more with AD off of the ball. Like, I think this can still be an AD series, but there's no chance it's going to be in the same way that it was against Portland. No, it's not going to, but it's going to be an AD series in the same as a finisher, right? Right. 
as a guy who's getting to the offensive glass, lobs Mm -hmm. off of running the floor, right? Like doing a bunch of things that AD is great at. But it's yeah, he not should gonna, eat in transition, yeah. right? But but it's not going to be the throw it to him in the post, jab step a guy Face off it, me, jab steps, right, sweet, right? Like all them sweet jumpers he was hitting, yeah. He shot like eighty percent from like the mid range or some <laughs> ridiculous number against the Blazers. He's not going to shoot that, right? And part of it's because like Whiteside and Nurkic are two feet off of him because if they get any closer, it's going to be a freaking dunk, you know? Yeah, because he's going to drive right by them. Houston's not going to defend him the same way. Nope. We should not be looking at Anthony Davis as as this high volume ISO slash post scorer. Right, And this is why I say that this is a LeBron James series, because LeBron is going to need to be that high-volume post and isolation scorer. He's going to need to threaten the front of the rim. He's going to need to do it out of the post, and he's going to need to do it off of Houston switching defenses from the perimeter by picking out guys that he wants to attack off of the dribble, calling a man who calling the guy who is defending his teammate, right? So, oh, you know what? This possession, I want to go at Austin Rivers, or this possession, I want to actually go at Robert Covington, or I want to go at player X, right? Whoever that player is. Oh, it's Jeff Green, this possession. I want to go at Jeff Green. Jeff Green is guarding, for some reason, he's guarding Dwight Howard, right? So I'm calling Dwight Howard up. If Jeff Green is guarding Alex Caruso, I'm calling Alex Caruso up. And I'm going to have Caruso come and set that screen. We're going to try to get the switch. And then I'm going to attack that player, right? Mm -hmm. And when LeBron has the matchup that he wants, he's going to need to take the ball to the post, right? He's going to need to pass and just dive to the post area. And then he's going to need to post up. And... This is where the tricky part about what lineups the Lakers are using and where the advantages are and where they're not come into play, right? When LeBron is playing with two bigs, I actually want, I actually want, I'd love for LeBron and AD to play two two man game, but to invert it where AD is the one throwing the post entry, and then he hovers. He hovers some, right? And if the double comes from AD, then AD dives, right? Mm -hmm. And then I want the other big lurking in the weak side dunker spot so that when LeBron turns and faces and then the help comes, the lob is there over the top. That's what OKC could not do. OKC could not do that. They did not have a. Well, that's why Basley Basley was really good in that series, right? Like when they started to play Basley, because he's an athlete, right? He was plus and, nine this game mm-hmm, in fourteen mm-hmm. minutes. I honestly think one of the reasons why they lost is because Basley uh, got fourteen was, minutes mm-hmm, and Gallo mm-hmm. got like twenty-seven. That's one of the reasons. Like in this game, I felt like the bounciness and in Game Six as well. The the bounciness that Baisley brought and 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 all that effort and a re- at running everywhere like a freaking refrigerator freezer running a a four four forty that Dort was doing 
Like mm-hmm. that sort of level of athleticism and physicality, right? We saw matters. we saw how that gives them problems too. Yes, right. And that's where. So let's zoom out a second before we talk about tactics and just like what is the nature of the Rockets' defense, their personnel, and what they're trying to execute with their personnel. They're they're small. They are not particularly athletic in the front court, and they know that. That is by design. So. They are, as a result of those two factors, they are weak around the basket defensively. But they know that, and they scheme for that, and the what they're trying to accomplish is to not let you be touching the ball around the basket in the first place. When their defense is operating well, they're beating you to the spot, they're forcing that set. Like when we throw the ball to AD 16 feet out, that we haven't punctured their defense. That's what we need to do is, is like, is... And that's why it's a LeBron series, is he's the guy that can puncture their defense from anywhere, whereas like AD faced up on P.J. Tucker, is he going to beat him on an off-the-dribble move from 20 feet out? Like, sometimes, but not as often as as he would Nurkic or Whiteside, that's for dang sure, right? And LeBron, these are this is very much a put-him-in-the-sidecar type of series, right? Yeah. And, and once... Once you get the ball, you get penetration, you get the ball in a player's hands around the basket, the whole thing falls apart for Houston, right? That's when offensive rebounds, that's when like, look, guys like Covington and Tucker and like, they, I've got so much respect for the basketball responsibilities that their front court defenders have to fill and even their guards to an extent, right? In order to execute what they do well, but if as soon as there's any penetration and there's any collapse, like that, that's that collapses the whole thing. And then that's when we're getting to scramble situations when you just throw the ball up on the glass and Dwight's going to clean it up or JaVale or AD. Like you let your athleticism take over on the offensive boards. Uh, but I think the way to get there is with LeBron having the ball in his hands. One thing that stood out to me from watching tape on Houston the last couple of days is. I didn't think our pick and roll game would be as good as it was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the switching I always associate with isolation, right? And that it nullifies your screening game because you just switch, right? And and there's no like, oh, this guy's got to help for a split second while that guy recovers back in front of him. You just switch it, right? But the... A thing the Lakers did really well, and Anthony Davis in particular, Anthony Davis is built to beat this Rockets defense, but not in the way that we've tried to have him beat it, uh, in that there's a moment after the switch happens where just by by nature, so so picture this, it's, this is hard without visual uh accompaniment but but try to close your eyes and picture this with me all right so lebron's got the ball and he's being defended by robert covington and they're at the top of the key and then anthony davis comes up to set a screen and he's being defended by pj tucker and so ad sets a screen and he's behind sets a screen on covington and he's behind covington by virtue of that by houston's principles of switching now robert covington is defending Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, Robert Covington is not in between Anthony Davis and the basket at that point. And 
there's this little thing, and I would if if you enjoy these little details about basketball as much as you and I do, this is a thing to look out for in the series. It's super. It'll be super fun. Is because of that reality, there's this little like oh crap moment where the defender, as soon as that happens, is going to battle his ass off to get in front and of Anthony Davis and to get uh, to beat him to that spot. And a lot of times they'll like leave a little bit early, anticipating the screen. But what they'll always try to do is get underneath the roller, right? And what AD does well that's different. Then and this is how I think he his the way this can be an AD series aside from just like get offensive rebounds is he is more agile and bendy than most guys his size mm-hmm. right like he can twist and contort and so there were a few plays where in this little action where the defender's trying to get behind AD AD's kind of like twisting and ducking his shoulder and then and he's front cutting the the defender so he's basically like keeping the defender where he wants him behind him as he's trying to fight around ad he's keeping like he's maneuvering his body to seal him behind him and then we're throwing the ball up in the air and it reminded me of the nfl right where sometimes the ball will be at the one yard line it's the fade route it's it's the fade route that's exactly what it is and you've got calvin johnson or uh, rob gronkowski uh, on a like 511 cornerback right like and he just throw it up there, right? You got to get in front of them. You got to seal them on your back. But uh, that is that was very effective in this series. Now, what do we do with Javale in that, those circumstances? You mentioned like the dunker spot, and the dunker spot, if you're not familiar, is there's the lane lines for the free throw line, right, where all the players stand, and then the three point line in the corner. The dunker spot is about halfway, a little more than halfway. Uh, along the baseline and like a little closer to the free throw line, the lane lines than the three point line. Right. And so that is a situation where, so Houston has contingencies for all of these things, right? Like everything that scenario I just explained is like, like they know this and what they do is they're going to rotate from the back end to try to like, Look, P.J. Tucker ain't going to beat them on the front end, right? But his job is to stay as close as he can to A.D. And then on the back end, there's going to be someone swooping in to try to knock that away or intercept Usually knock it away, not intercept it cleanly, but, you know, that, that backside help to tap away that lob pass. And so one of the key decisions that any player is going to have to make on offense in this series is LeBron deciding when they've overcommitted to that help and to skip it to our shooters in the corner. And that's the part that scares me most on offense in this series is that if our shooters go ice cold, like our shooters, the way that Houston has to defend us to prevent us from just completely wrecking shop around the rim will, by virtue of that fact, mean that we're going to have a lot of shooters open, especially in the corner. And we've seen that just because we've got shooters open in the corner doesn't necessarily mean we will be making shots from the corner, right? So that's the yeah. one like plausible. If this were to go wrong, I I would I would bet money if the Lakers lose this series, there's going to be some atrocious shooting performances on pretty open shots. So that's like one worry that I have. Yeah, and that's countered too by the math problem that Houston brings offensively to their own game. Right. Mm-hmm. And it can be dispiriting and disheartening if you are missing open threes and Houston is then bombing away and they're hitting 
contested, semi-contested, or finding ways to generate their own open threes, and they're knocking those down, right? Like, the thing that can be super prob- problematic for the Lakers in general is is a game where they're 7 for 30 from 3, and Houston is, is you know, 22 for 50 from 3, mm-hmm. right? And that's the math problem. And, and and so you were you were very much like in the weeds there from a schematic perspective. I want to zoom back out for a second and and just make a general point is that the Lakers need need to play fast, but they need to play fast in transition. They need to be choosy but aggressive in their choices in terms of how often they seek out transition opportunities because Houston can be a very poor transition defense. Yeah, I think we should be super aggressive. Like, if there's any question, like, run. Like, I, I think we should run and run and run and run. I will say, though, that that there are going to be a litany of half-court possessions in this series by, sure. like, by the Lakers. And when they are in the half-court they need to play bully ball. They need to play bludgeon ball. There needs to be three yards and a cloud of dust offense to a certain extent. Now, the way that you get there is not by posting up Anthony Davis every single possession. That's that's not the way to do it. I think that you need to strategically attack weaker defenders. I think you need to try to manipulate Houston's defense. I think a lot of that is going to come down to LeBron James, but it's but it's also going to come down to how much can Alex Caruso create off the dribble? How much can Kyle Kuzma create off off of the dribble? How much can Rajon Rondo create off off of the dribble? Be because the point that you made about puncturing the defense is real, right? And mm-hmm. and you need to get downhill against Houston. And once you get downhill, you then need to use your physicality in order to continue to get shots at the basket, get offensive rebounds, draw fouls, right? Slow the game down in the half court in, in a way that makes Houston defend defend with effort, right? One of the things that Houston does not want to do is defend with a bunch of effort by by having to move around the floor a bunch, by having to battle possession after possession after possession without fouling, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think that Houston's probably going to get the benefit of the doubt inside. I think they're going to be able to like push back and scrap back and, and and scrape down on on arms and get underneath jumpers a little bit. Like that's just the nature of playing in a phone booth. And when you're the smaller guy, I think that you, you, you get, get away some with leeway. One. Yeah, like you get some leeway with that. The Lakers are going to need to play through that. They're going to need to not get frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are all of like the things that are on the periphery and that are on the margins that are going to matter from a possession to possession and game to game basis because that's how they're going to win. That's how they're going to win, right? Yeah. Because the Lakers are going to need to find a way to generate points in 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 the half court 
that's going to come down to how effective they are as shooting as shooters, just like you mentioned, but also how effective are they at getting downhill and especially with their big players controlling the paint. And that's where I think the AD can can have a major impact is by playing with the type of effort that he did especially in the middle part of the Portland series where he was just flying all over the court, mm-hmm. getting to the offensive glass, right? And and really showing and playing with force when he was getting to the basket when he did not have the ball in his hands, right? Because yep. when he did have the ball in his hands, he was a jump shooter. But when he didn't have the ball in his hands, he was getting his ass to the glass and to the front of the rim in order to collapse the defense. And and there's nothing more that he can do to impact the series than that. He's going to draw fouls, he's going to get to the free throw line, and he's going to get easy buckets inside. Yeah, he should have, and same is true with Dwight and JaVale, to whatever extent they play big minutes, uh, he should have a lot of putbacks in this series. The team should as a whole. Um, and that's where... You know, like crashing down from the weak side or winning that little battle where the defender that just switched is trying to get behind you, but you seal him behind him. And you're like, he's a hard guy to stonewall in that if he's got an advantage or if like if these same situations happen with other bigs, slower footed bigs, they can beat them to the spot in ways it's a lot harder to do that with AD, right? Like you've got to be really, really quick and, and he's going to be able to kind of slither through there and then unleash, you know, the, his size and athleticism. Um, you mentioned earlier though, the idea of going small and what does, um, I think Markeith Morris is an important player in this series. I think he, as often as we can maintain our physical advantages while still being able to participate on the perimeter. So like guys like JaVale and Dwight, there'll be parts of the game where they, they can't play. And maybe big parts of the game, right? Where they can't, you know, they can't pick and pop to a three or they, they're not doing that in a playoff series, right? They won't do that consistently. Um, so I, I do believe that there will need big chunks of time where all five guys can at least do something on the perimeter, especially if they that becomes shooting. So I'm curious, what is your what what are some different versions of those small ball lineups? Like, what do you emphasize in those groups? I mean, look, man. Like, I still think the <laughs> most important part about going small is how do you defend this Rockets team? It's not what you can do offensively. So I actually disagree a little bit about how important it's going to be for some of the Lakers. Like, I'm I'm not saying Morris can't be important. I'm not sure what his importance is versus this Houston team. Do you think it's too slow to close out the way that we I think him? it'll be tricky for him as a closeout player That's specifically. A good point. Um, That's a good point. That, even that against a guy yeah. like Daniel House who is not the fleetest of foot, but he... And and it's not even like a player-specific thing, right? It's like you have to be in rotation, right? And go from tagging, helping here to closing out to the corner. And you don't know who that shooter is going to be. It doesn't matter, right? Like it's not your... It's not... You're assigned a rotation rather than a player. Yeah, I think that the most important... Look, man, like... The key parts of any small ball Lakers lineup are still going to be LeBron and AD, right? Mm -hmm. I think the three players around them will probably need to be a rotation of Kuzma, 
Caruso, Danny Green, and KCP. To like, me, Kuz is a locked in as a third guy. Like yeah. not just not in terms of like any series of anyone we play, but like he's a guy who can do the things on the perimeter on both ends. Like he's got value on the perimeter on both ends of the floor while being you know, faster and, and bigger, right? Yeah. Like he's a, a six, nine guy who can finish in the paint. He can, those cuts, it's different when it's AC, unless he gets a clear runway for a dunk. Like Kuzma's going to be able to finish through contact. He's going to like the more big guys that we can have that can still be like maintain our athletic advantage where Kuz is like our third most athletic guy out there in the front court next to LeBron and AD. I think like that trio is locked in stone, you know, in terms of against this Houston team. I think Kuz is going to be, this is a really good series for him. Yeah, and you, you, one of the things that I questioned before the Portland series was whether or not Caruso was going to play well enough offensively for him to be able to stay on the floor based off of potentials scheming that the Blazers might do to him from a defensive standpoint, to help off of him in order to try to neutralize the Lakers' bigger offensive threats, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's always one of the issues that you're going to find in the playoffs, especially as you get deeper into to the playoffs, round two, round three, and then the finals, is that if you're not an offensive threat, then defenses will then start to scheme you off of the floor, Caruso was such an important defensive player that he found ways and, and and he showed enough competency as an offensive player, especially in like pick and pop situations and as a cutter and as a screener, he showed enough against Portland to be able to be a real impact player um, in terms of just plus minus and, and just making winning plays, right? Mm-hmm. And that showed up. It showed up in the box score, even when he wasn't scoring points. Houston is going to treat him differently. They are not, and then they're going to switch screens with him, right? And so that pick and pop is not going to be as effective as as a play. Um, They're going to lay off of him, and unless he's working as a cutter and as a screener, this is a series where he's going to have to make more shots. Like, I bring him up specifically because a lineup that I'm very interested in seeing is Caruso, Danny Green, Kuzma, LeBron, and AD. I think that that is is a really good two-way lineup. It allows you to switch defensively if, like, like, if you have to switch as well, and, and it's just a more versatile lineup in terms of size and physicality that is going to that 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 I think probably gives the Lakers their best chance from that that probably gives the Lakers their best chance to compete on both ends of the floor but a lot of that is going to be contingent on what Alex Caruso does from a small ball perspective though do you see them being able to say like, like, oh, like, let's get some Markeith minute, like some Markeith at center minutes. Sure. I don't think this is that series, personally. See, I, I think that this is a great series to get Morris minutes at center because I, I think that, hmm. like, he's 
more equipped to do that than JaVale is, right, to close out to the three-point line. If if our concern is the ability to close out sure. the shooters and defend the perimeter, I think Morris is I, – I, I think your concerns about his foot speed and ability to do that are fair. But, I mean, if we're looking for, for that, you know, this is a series where AD will hopefully play a ton of minutes at center because they don't really play a center. A lot of the reasons for him to not play center are, are not really there, right? Um, but the – I one of the things I, I think Caruso is actually kind of solid as the fourth guy as well, like uh, in, mm-hmm. unless he's playing particularly poorly, because um, he get, we get out in transition so much more when he's on the court. Yeah, that's like, a great point. I, I don't know if it's reflected in pace necessarily, but uh, a lot of like live ball turnovers, he is really a positive in that respect. Um, like the lineup I would go for is those four guys, and instead of Danny Green, KCP. I think that like I think that's a great transition lineup, and I think that that's somewhere that Houston is weak. Like KCP is really fast, and yeah. he's you know he can fill that wing, fill that deep corner for that open three. Those are like us being faster than them and really leaning on that. And so like a lineup of Caruso, KCP. Kuz, LeBron, and AD are all fast on the perimeter. They can all do something, do great work on the run, which is somewhere where I, we can really exploit them. Uh, we can, you know, we've got two man game that we can do. I think that that's really a great closing lineup. Now, defensively, there's an argument to be made for Danny Green on, say, Westbrook, where you just have him play way off of him and live with whatever Westbrook does as a jump shooter in a way that you can have Caruso play off of Westbrook or KCP play off of him, and he's just going to power through him in a way that he won't be able to power through Danny Green. So Danny Green's in that rotation for, like, you know, who we would be having in the, in that spot, or at least what I'd be looking to do. Um, and that said, though, there's always that if KCP or Caruso can't handle that power guard nature of Westbrook, um, I do think that LeBron or AD in clutch situations and possessions where we need a stop, I think that that's something that they could look to handle. And AD especially, you know, teams have tried to set screens on him with guards to try to get a switch, to switch AD off of the guy. And, like, AD just kind of pl- powers through those screens. He doesn't get stopped by them. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think that when we need to go to someone where KCP and Caruso might be weak against that power type of guard, I think we have the personnel on the floor to, to do it if, we, if really necessary. So let me ask you this. if So there's 48 minutes at center each game, right? How many of those do you want AD playing? Mm. 12? I mean, 14? 40? Really? I mean, if there are, you know, there are always factors <laughs> to consider, right? I'm not the, the coach of the team, but I like to me, there's no reason for AD to not play the five in this series, right? Like there's, he's got, it's PJ Tucker, right? It's Jeff Green. Like these are guys that he's bigger than, they've been fours the rest of their career, you know? So my concern with, I'll be very interested to see what this series looks like after four games so I get a better sense of like what the lineup data looks like and what 
pairings are successful and and what personnel groupings are successful versus those that that are not i am more inclined to think that while their half court offense may struggle more using two big lineups i'll be very interested to see if they are able to still grind out possessions on both ends of the floor and cut down on driving possessions in ways that where they're still able to contest Harden's jumper by playing multiple bigs at the same time. So I... I don't look at Harden the way that I looked at Dame in that limiting three-point attempts entirely is the is the end-all, be-all. Like, Dame 6'1 or 6'2 or however big, big that he is, I thought funneling Dame towards a bunch of help, considering the personnel groupings that we knew Portland was going to have on the floor meant that you could line up your defense in a certain way in order to make those shots at the rim more difficult. I think that if the Lakers are consistently turning Harden into a driver, he's likely to be driving into either an empty paint or having someone having to rotate from, if not a considerable distance, then they will be leaving a shooter. And that Harden has more size to be able to make the types of passes that will generate the types of open three-pointers with real shooters that can give the Lakers problems. My preference isn't to... so. If I were trying to design a defensive game plan in order to try to limit Harden, it would be to show him help behind or the 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 vision of a more crowded paint with big bodies and have him be starting possessions thinking jumper. Mm. while having our guards press up on him or reduce that space enough so that they can be in his zone a little bit more to, if not properly contest the shot, because it's hard to contest that three-point shot. But I do think the Lakers have enough size with some of their defenders, particularly Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma, to be able to say you're going to have to shoot over a high hand, mm-hmm. and if yep. you do drive, you're seeing bodies in front of you and that arms. are going mm-hmm. and yeah. and arms that are going to challenge you. I so so th- that's part of how like two bigs can work. By the way, is just that concession of. We're going to press up on you, which is basically saying drive. We're fine with you driving. And then being met by JaVale, being met by AD, being met by Dwight. That's the version where, you know, it's not 40 minutes of AD, which isn't going to happen, right? You just asked me what I would be looking to do. But, sure. uh, you know, if, if we can throw a lot of arms and length at 
at Harden and make him make shots, make him make passes against like like a lot of what he's successful at is against regular season defense where those things aren't being done as diligently as they are in the playoffs, right? Like you have to go deeper in the sequence before you can really break a defense in the playoffs. And so the more length, the more yeah, yeah, the more we can bother him with that. That I think is probably the strongest defensive argument for uh for playing two bigs and then having those guys just, you know, bust their ass to to the three-point line to close out, you know, like there's a way to make that work. Yeah, and I think some of this is going to be KYP too, right? It like like know sure. your personnel, know who you're closing out to, know what their tendencies are, and this goes back to something that we talked about a lot during the Portland series, which is preparation, which is defensive IQ, which is like and and knowing knowing what your job is based off of who is on the floor. I trust the Lakers to be able to do that, right? So it's like like Covington is not going to be a player that that is going to um, effectively get run off the three-point line and then attack a closeout and then make a play on the move for a teammate, right? Like, that's not his game. P.J. Tucker, that's not his game. Um, Daniel House will do, will do some of that, though. He can attack a closeout, and then he will kick out off of that. James Harden will, will obviously do, will, will do that. Eric Gordon will obviously do that. Russell Westbrook will do that. And so when the Lakers are closing out, they have to know who they're closing out against. All of these guys are viable shooters, but, but how good of a shooter are they actually? And, Right. And like, are they shooters against, you know, Kyle Kuzma closeout or LeBron or AD skying at them? That's a, it's a different shot, right? Than if, if other guys are closing out at full speed. And then what does it look like once they do, like, after the closeout gets there, or if they're attacking the closeout, what comes next after that? Are they the types then where now you are in scramble? Now, well, now you are in rotation and rotation on the backside, not only to to the paint in order to deter a shot at the basket, but all the scrambling that happens around in terms of closing out again to the next perimeter guy, right? Or am I more worried about shot only? And these are... The devil is going to be in the details against a team like the Rockets. They're going to be in the same places on the floor every single possession, and their goal is to break you, right, over and over again with the individual brilliance that is James Harden and then the drive-and-kick game that's going to exist with, with, with Russ and with Eric Gordon, and if you close out short, they will shoot the three, and if you close out hard, they will then beat you, and there are only a few guys who are going to beat you off of the dribble again, and then they're going to kick to a standstill shooter, and you Mm -hmm. need to be sharp enough with your rotations, not only to get there, but know who you're getting to, and what the next thing is going to be after that, and it's going to be 
this is a series where if you thought you had to be locked in against Portland and you did have to be lock, mm-hmm. locked in against Portland, yep. you really have to be locked in mm-hmm. against Houston. And yep. and I trust this team to be that locked in. It's the second round of the playoffs now. Yep. But like this is this is what it is, right? And it's going to be a grind when you're sitting in that when you're sitting in your stance and you're watching the ball and James Harden is doing that pitter patter thing that that he does where are you supposed to be where are your help principles what's going on behind me let's get to it right yep and and, and then on the other end it's ram the ball down their freaking throats in transition bully them in the paint and that's where the advantages are, man. And and if the Lakers let go of the rope too much, they're going to find themselves in a dogfight series where the math, where Houston is going to try to play the math game yep. in in order to win. And and that's that's where this series tilts, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's the version where Houston wins, right? Is it's this half court game where. We're looking very frustrated and can't quite get to the basket, and we're cold from three. And they're, you know, Harden's hitting step backs and Westbrook's powering through our guys. Uh, the the version where we win though is is where we're dominating them with our size and athleticism. And I think that that's so every area of the game where that's an advantage, transition, offensive boards, even in the pick and roll game, make PJ Tucker battle Anthony Davis 11 feet above the ground and see what happens. Uh, all of those places, and they're they're repeatable. They're not all that mysterious. Um, and and I, But I think it's a, a good formula for Lakers success. But yeah, there are a few versions of this where it, it doesn't go our way. Uh, you got anything else you want to cover with the Rockets? No, just... One last thing about LeBron, because I think it is all going to come back to to LeBron. In the end, this may end up just being a series as to who actually is the better player between LeBron James and James Harden. And I know what I think. Mm -hmm. I think I know what you think. But when it comes right down to it, this is the one, like, LeBron made... LeBron's made a career out of marching through the playoffs and picking off top guys pretty much every step of the way, right? And when it's usually just a one-on-one battle between like, oh, you've got another top guy and I'm a top guy, he's come out on top almost every single time with those. The times where he didn't, it was because, oh, you've got three or four guys and I've got me and maybe Kyrie, right? But almost every other time he's been like, I'm the best player. We're going to win. And this could end up being a series that's like that again. And if it does come down to him and James Harden, like, I'm just, I just want to see another one of those I'm LeBron James series. And he did think, mm mm-hmm. He's Go got ahead. a lot to he's got a lot to say on that front too, man. Where, um, yeah, I I suspect that the this road to where we're hoping to go, you know, going through Dame, then Harden, then possibly Kawhi, then whomever comes out of the East. Um, yeah, 
I, you know, there's this would this would be a hell of an accomplishment, right? To to lead this team, I think uh, that reminder that he's LeBron James. We saw it in the Portland series. Um, I, I suspect that that's going to continue to ramp up as we get closer. But uh, yeah, should be fun. Uh, Lakers going to be facing the Houston Rockets at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Friday. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.